This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Well, welcome to our latest podcast. Games are underway. We've got about a week of those, and we're going to have some interviews during the course of this podcast. By the way, our next Countdown to Opening Day show will include Tommy Pham and Daniel Robertson, and we're now joined by Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. And Mark, as we sit down, uh, fortunately, those guys have been healthy, and for the most part, most of the Rays have been healthy in this first week of games. Nothing major to speak of, at least as of yet, hopefully. Yeah, just a few little things here and there that have kept guys out. I mean, Matt Duffy, you know, missed the first, uh, what, six games. Uh, he's scheduled to make his debut in the seventh game, the Thursday night game against the Twins. G-Man Choi scratched from the lineup Wednesday. His back was bothering him a little bit. Chaz Rowe was held back for about a week. His back was bothering him. Um, Austin Meadows, we found out, had a little shoulder weakness. That's why he played as a DH, but not in the field, as you were the very first to notice, as you were always the most observant one of the group here, Neil. And so really nothing major for the Rays. Um, a few little things here and there. Ian Jabot, like we said, the only one that really you know, is going to be out for an extended period. He, you know, Whether he even pitches in some spring games or not, I think we're not even sure, but definitely puts him out of the picture to start the season. Uh, it could open the door for Colin Pochet maybe or someone like that. I think the Rays are juggling some of their lefty and righty options for the last couple spots in the bullpen. And it got Matt Crook in the camp, though. He was pretty happy. He got major league money for being a big league camp. Yeah, there, there are a lot of nice stories in camp, and we're going to touch on a little bit of that. Uh, but what are what are your biggest takeaways from the first week of games now? And as we're a couple weeks into camp, no cuts yet. Minor league camp doesn't open for a bit. What, what do you take away so far? Tommy Pham still hits the ball really well. I mean, he definitely is trying to pick up where he left off when he hit about 600 for the Rays, it seems like, over the last month or so. No, I think for the most part, you know, I think you're impressed these guys are in shape. I think they seem focused. I think they seem driven. Blake Snell, you know, had an interview with him on uh, Wednesday afternoon, and, and, you know, I was really impressed. Just, you know, kind of how deep he went as far as, you know, he's not going to let the Cy Young become a issue for him. It's not even in his house. I mean, I think you probably have some, you know, Grammys and stuff you've won that are in your house, but, uh, you know, he doesn't even have it in his house. So that was interesting. Um, you know, they haven't played crisply, and I do think the first base experiment is going to be ongoing. I will say this, that we're going to focus on, and John Romano wrote a column in uh, Thursday's Tampa Bay Times about this, you know, the first base situation between Yandy Diaz, between Nate, excuse me, between Brandon Lau and between G-Man Choi, and that's where the focus has been and it's going to be. But if Nate Lowe continues to hit home runs like he did in Wednesday's game and, and talking to a couple of the infielders, they say he's a pretty good defensive first baseman. You know, there's been kind of this, you know, thought that he could be on this team at some point. Is that a after the June kind of Super 2 window or is that, you know, sooner or is that late in the year? But, you know, his showing these first week or so between his BPs and what he did in that Wednesday game and that one particular baseball that somehow made it 567 feet when it stopped rolling without, you know, exploding. 
is pretty impressive, Neil. It is, and and yeah, the question is 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 first base at least to start the season a placeholder uh, for Nate Lowe in terms of the big picture? I guess we'll find out. But I actually thought in the first week the guys who have played first base have done a, a credible job. I mean, whether it was G Man Choi before the back tightened up a little bit, whether it was Yandy Diaz, Brandon Lau, I thought all of them have. A, swung the bat fairly well, and B, played pretty decent first base. Yeah, and, and you know, I think, though, this is going to be, and, and look, we're all going to fall victim to this. We're going to write, you know, they're doing well. We're going to hear quotes that they're doing well. You're going to make great calls on the radio that, you know, they're doing well. But the reality is, you know, and we've seen this before over the years, it's different down here than when you get to the big league game. It's different, like literally different because Tropicana field surface is so different than what they're playing on here. It's different with the lights. It's different, as uh, our good buddy Joe Madden used to always say, when there's that third deck in the stadium. So there's all kinds of reasons it's different. Just that game speed is so much quicker, and there's just so much more you know, kind of inherent pressure that goes with it. At bats that guys don't pay attention to you know, in spring training, kind of they do take back out on the field with them in the regular season. So there's lots of reasons why what you see down here is not necessarily what you're going to get once the games count. You're right. Um, And you hit on two guys in that whole first base mix, Brandon Lau and Nate Lowe, and you had a pretty nice story, which I guess hopefully going forward everyone will get their names right. I I was uh, impressed to hear, and I'm not giving myself any credit, but I, I probably would like to think that the guy at least read the article that the PA announcer at Ed Smith Stadium in Sarasota on Tuesday did get it correct. That was the first time that those guys have obviously been in a lineup at a big league spring training game. I mean, they've played together in the minor leagues, but uh, just the fact that, you know, the announcer got it right because it is going to be tricky. It is something they do have a lot of fun with, and I don't know if it's going to be you they're going to prank or it's Dave and Andy or it's Dwayne or Brian or whomever, but Brandon Lau has a plan that at some point this spring, and maybe it's going to be just uh, Josh Grant, the PA announcer here at the Charlotte Sports Park, but he wants to get people to refer to Nate Lowe as Nate Lau because he knows it's going to rile him up. Well, whatever you got to do to kind of keep things uh, lively during the course of spring training, you do. But one thing that is clear, and you mentioned it with Blake Snell, um, and the fact that his Cy Young Award isn't even at his house is impressive. Uh, Also, the fact that you actually would give me a Grammy for anything. Um, But the other thing that I think is clear from Blake, from your article on Joey Wendell, uh, Tommy, your conversation with Tommy Pham, they all basically still have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. And I think that's a good thing because I think most people are going to pick them behind Boston and New York anyway. So they will have a lot to prove as, the, as they get ready for the start of the season. No see, no, no doubt, Neil. And, and Daniel Robertson actually said that exact thing this afternoon, uh, Wednesday afternoon, talking to him after the game and uh, that there are a lot of guys with chips on their shoulders. In his case, he feels like there's unfinished business both personally and team-wise personally, in that his season ended, you know, unfortunately, what, early August, mm-hmm. and he hurt his hand, and he was out for the rest of the year, and, you know, I'm, I'm not saying he would have uh, beat out Blake's, Blake Snell, but there was a point during the season where Daniel Robertson was the MVP of this team, and, you know, for him to get that taken away from him kind of bothered him, and, you know, I think we all talked about at the end of the season, the Rays felt like, boy, if there was another couple of weeks, or if they would have gotten hot a couple of weeks sooner, maybe they could have at least, you know, beaten out the A's for that last wildcard spot and gotten to go play the game in New York, if nothing else. And uh, so I do think there is a sense of that here. And, you know, that's the balance. And we're going to talk and write about that a lot between now and opening day is you've got this young team and there are going to be some guys who are going to feel like, oh, we did pretty good last year. And then you need the other, they're going to need the other guys to say, no, you didn't do enough. And, and where that balance unfolds ultimately will kind of define their attitude going into the season. We touched on it in a previous podcast. There aren't a lot of battles here in camp. Probably the last position player battle, although 
Brandon Lau keeps swinging the bat the way he is, there may not be as much of a debate uh, or conversation. But one thing that Kevin Cash said interesting this week was he talked about two bullpen battles. Um, and it seems like a lot of this is going to depend on how much length they want, need from both the left and right side, right? It is. And, and you know, that's an interesting equation because on a normal team, you would just look at your five starters and they would run their have their analytics. People run some projections and how many innings do they expect to get from their five starters and go from there. But because the Rays use the opener system because they run a much more, you know, complex a formula to how they use their bullpen and you know we've seen you know Ryan Stanek you know pitch at the back end of a game open a game we've seen Diego Castillo do the both things so they have to kind of keep track of how they use these guys so it's not just the innings but how they're used and how many what clumps they use them in I mean if you use a guy you know for two or three or four innings as you know one of those bulk guys who comes in behind a, a opener then he's out for the next couple of days you've got to have innings to cover or somebody to cover the innings the ensuing day so yeah, i know we've talked a lot about that last spot in the bullpen being a right-handed guy but i think the way kevin cash put it today i think there's both kind of an opening for a right-handed guy right and a left-handed guy and it may be that you know the right-handed guy is the length guy and the lefty guy is more of a, a specialist type or vice versa and you know if it is it could be adam Kalark or the other way around maybe the lefty guy is a length guy and maybe that's someone like jalen beeks and they go more with a right-handed guy who's uh, shorter, or even a right-handed guy like Emilio Pagan who can do a little bit of anything for you. And he's certainly been a good story in camp so far, the way he has thrown the baseball. One other good story in camp, uh, you know, I, I think I did an interview with him early in camp, but you did a terrific job on the Riot Merritt story, and I hope people are going to read that one. Yeah, it was, it was fun, and I, I do appreciate you uh, giving me that suggestion, Neil, and, and your initial groundwork on that, but... Yeah, talking to Ryan Merritt, and just, you know, and part of it is he's just so quiet, so unassuming. He sits there, his locker's kind of right in the middle of the, the hover zone where the media, where we all stand, but he just sits there, you know, doesn't bother anybody, doesn't complain that we're all hanging out there, and uh, just a low-key guy, but he was in such a prominent role, and to revisit that, I mean, he was the shaking-in-your-boots guy in the 2016 ALCS. The guy, Jose Bautista of the Blue Jays, called out. Ryan Merritt was making the spot start for the Indians, and it was great, and, and you know, not to not to be Joe McGrain here and name drop on you, but to get to talk to Terry Francona about it, and Mickey Calloway, who was the Indians pitching coach, now the Mets manager, and I got a hold of John Gibbons, who was the Blue Jays manager, and you know, Kevin Cash obviously heard about it. Matt Cartrera was an Indians coach then, so got, getting to talk to all these people that were involved in that game as well, and, and get a sense, and then the second part of the story, which really maybe even was the better part, was not only did Ryan Merritt, you know, kind of answer that. He wasn't shaking in his boots. He pitched really well. He retired the first 10. He got into the fifth inning. But then the Cleveland fans showed their appreciation by going online and finding that his wedding registry was online. I talked to his uh, then fiance, now wife, Sarah, and she said they're still like over the moon about this. She said their house in Texas is basically stocked with all these, you know, kitchen appliances and, you know, not appliances, but, you know, the coffee maker and, the, the cutlery and things like that that the Cleveland fans bought them and and you know she said there even were like kids that put like five dollars on a on a Target gift card and that was part of it it was just such a cool thing and and they sent out you know thank you notes to everybody that did so so it really was a feel good story to be part of unprecedented really in terms of the way a fan base responded to a player's so really cool stuff. Uh, and hopefully you're reading it over at uh, TampaBay.com. I would hope so. If you haven't done so already, you can do that. Um, and going forward, um, hopefully uh, it remains a quiet camp. Certainly been a little different than last year. Yeah, it, it's funny, Neil, and, and you you do the same thing, I'm sure. You know, I come into camp and I've got a list of, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 story ideas. I mean, there's 45 days. You're not going to nail it every day. But, you know, 20 to 30 pretty good stories 
And last year, I, I think we got three or four weeks in, and I had barely touched that list because there were so many trades, and then there was the fall from the trade, and the reaction of the trade, and the completion of the trade, and what are the Rays doing? And, and then I, you know, I got lucky one day, and I wrote, what if they actually knew what they were doing, which turned out to be kind of prescient. And um, this year, it has been kind of quiet, so we are we kind of working our way down that list a little bit. And you know, there will be things that pop up, but I don't think. And, and you know, Bloom said so on the opening press conference. You know, this is a spring where if they do anything, it's going to be to make this team you know, better, that they feel like they have a chance to make the playoffs, that they see a way to do it better. Now, you know, there are some free agents still out there. I mean, Craig Kimbrell is a guy that you still wonder until he signs somewhere else. And people say they don't know, you know, until Manny Machado signs somewhere else, they'll believe they didn't believe where he was going. And if until Bryce Harper signs somewhere else, then people will be convinced if he's going to the Phillies or Dodgers or whomever. You know, well, I think until Kate Craig Kimbrell signs somewhere else, but I, the Rays don't seem that they're going to go that route. I think they're going to go with this group they have, and, and it'll be interesting to see. Certainly will be interesting to watch, and you can look forward to more Topkin. I can guarantee neither of us will be traded to add value to this group anytime soon. Now, certainly it was great chatting with Mark, but part of this podcast, what we like to do is include some interviews that you probably wouldn't find on our Countdown to Opening Day show, uh, guys who still can have an impact uh, during the course of this year and future years on this uh, 2019 race team. And Mark alluded to the bullpen, um, figuring out those last couple spots. And I think one of the stories in camp has been one Emilio Pagan, who has certainly performed well to this point. He's also shown off uh, a new pitch, a curveball. Uh, and early in camp, I chatted with Emilio, uh, a guy who's been traded twice, uh, first from uh, Seattle to Oakland, then Oakland to the Rays, and uh, asked him a little bit about how he's adjusting the second time around. Uh, definitely easier in the fact that I have a lot of former teammates here, um, now teammates again, which I'm happy about, a lot of good guys. So um, definitely an easier transition this year. Uh, I was excited to get back to the East Coast and I'm um, looking forward for the opportunity. You've played with two West Coast organizations, Seattle and Oakland. Where did you have more friends, familiarity with before you came here? Who'd you know? Um, well, Jake Smolinski's here from last year. Um, and then a couple guys that were with Oakland that I know about. I don't know personally with uh, Daniel Roberts and Joey Wendell. Um, but all the guys over there tell me they're great guys. And, and Oakland has a good locker room, a lot of really good guys. So, um in that case, um, those guys from Oakland, but there's a lot of guys from Seattle here, obviously with the Tampa Bay-Seattle connection. But, um, yeah, I've just got a lot of former teammates here. Um, it's made the transition a little easier, and it's definitely nice to have some familiar faces. You had only spring trained in Arizona. Um, happy to be back, make it a little easier because your home is on the East Coast, right? Definitely. A lot easier. Um, being able to just drive to spring training uh, was nice. And um, it's been um, it's been a lot of fun. Tell me a little bit about yourself as a pitcher and your story, because you came from a smaller school, right, Belmont Abbey, and you were a third baseman in addition to pitching in college. Yeah, I played third base primarily, and then I would close um, if there was a save situation. But um, yeah, being on the East Coast, close to home, is is comforting. Uh, it's nice that my family can come down essentially whenever they you know whenever they want to for a short weekend or whatever so um it's, it's been it's been very nice when you initially were drafted were you thinking position player pitcher what was kind of your thought process and how did you eventually kind of evolve to what you've become now as a reliever uh i wanted to be a position player uh, i was more consistent as a pitcher which um you know you can't argue with so uh Pitching is now uh, something that I've grown to love, and 
and just the challenge of competing on the mound. I mean, these hitters are amazing. So uh, I do miss playing third every now and then, but uh, pitching has been has been good to me and my family. So I'll uh, continue to work hard at that. As I'm sure you've seen, Kevin has not been afraid to keep a guy in the game by moving him to a position yeah. during the game. I guess you, you have you let him know yet that if that ever happens in a game, you're one of those guys who can do that? No, no, no. I'll let him make those decisions. But uh, if I ever get the opportunity, I'll definitely cherish it. It'll, you know, I always wanted to be a, a professional third baseman or, or position player or whatever. So if I get the opportunity, I'll, uh, I'll have a lot of fun out there. Especially your last organization, Oakland, they're very analytically minded. The Rays are analytically minded. Does that help you in transitioning over here, do you think? And if so, how? Uh, I, I think so, yeah. I think um, the way the game is going, if you're not at least a little bit involved in the analytics, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. So... Uh, it definitely helps, for sure. And uh, Coach Schneider does a great job uh, relaying that information to us in a way that's easy to understand. So uh, it's been a great transition. I'm looking forward to see where the information can take me. I think there's uh, a lot of benefits to it. So uh, I'm fully involved in it and uh, hoping I can make the most of it. Do you think you're a little bit, um, they'll interpret things a little bit differently from what you heard, or is it going to be fairly kind of a similar approach to the way Oakland saw how to use you and, and how you can use your stuff? Well, I think there's, you know, there's different ways to interpret it, but for the most part, the information is pretty black and white. Um, so, you know, if you learn to understand what the information is saying and use it to your benefit, then, then great. And, uh, I think it'll be a little different just because, like I said yesterday, I'm developing a couple of new pitches. Um, but for the most part, with the fastball and slider, it should be the same. So uh, I'm just looking forward on, on to I, any ideas they have to help me better use that stuff. Developing a 12-6 curve and a changeup address, again, kind of the thought process behind it. And did you start working on that, like, once you started throwing in the offseason or, or started thinking about that as, as your season went down last year? What was kind of the thought behind it? Uh, the thought behind it was I didn't want to be a two-pitch guy. Uh, you know, I don't want to be just a specialist. I think I think I can be better than that. And um, I definitely think I can be better than what I was last year. Um, I showed it at some points um, in 18, and then in 17 I showed it more consistently. So um, I think there's definitely ground to be made up, and, and this offseason was a step in that direction. So... I just want to continue to, to make steps to be a complete pitcher. Um, I don't want to be a thrower on the mound. I, w I want to be out there to have multiple weapons at my at my expense to use to the hitters. And uh, anytime you can have them second-guessing what pitch is coming out of your hand, the better. So that's just kind of what my goal was, and I'm going to try and continue to run, run with it. And I guess you're learning a lot of new pitchers, but how much conversation goes on, whether it's your throw partner or whether it's just watching other bullpens to kind of figure out ways to tinker with your curve or tinker with a changeup? Uh, I had a great catch partner last year in Lou Trevino who has four very plus pitches. Um, so I just picked his brain a lot as we were playing catch. Um, never took it into a game just because I wasn't comfortable with it. Um, but there's definitely some guys in this locker room with good curveballs and uh, – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick Blake's mind as soon as I get the chance. Well, hopefully, Emilio already has had that chat with Blake Snell as Blake is going to make his first appearance of the spring in games on Thursday night against the Minnesota Twins. Now, I think you guys know I have a soft spot uh, for those in the minor leagues, and I think especially for those who really have to grind it to get to that 
next level. Uh, and in the case of Mike Brasso, uh, he's trying to do something that only about a half dozen Rays have ever done, and that's being a player from the United States who wasn't drafted uh, to get to the big leagues. And he performed very well at the AA level last year. Uh, and this is his first invite to Major League Spring Training uh, after being signed by the Rays three years ago. So I asked Mike what it meant, and he certainly was appreciative of the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's obviously a blessing. It's an honor to be a part of this clubhouse. Um, you know, i got to thank the Rays, obviously, for giving me the opportunity. Um, you know, it shows a lot of faith that they have in me. And... Um, you know, hopefully I'm going to do whatever I can to uh, prove them right in the decision they made. When or where you when you found out you got the news? Yeah, I was actually, it was pretty late. It was probably uh, two weeks before I actually came down. So maybe end of January I found out. Um, but I was actually on my way to uh, off off-season training facility. Um, I got a call from, uh, you know, them and they told me, congratulations, you, you got the invite and I mean, the emotions just flew through there, through the roof from there. So it was an exciting experience for sure. Where were you? Were you home? Were you on the road? Were you? I, was on, I was on the road driving to Chicago at the time, actually. So it was, it was in my car. Um, called my parents, obviously, right afterwards, and they were ecstatic. But yeah, we had a nice dinner that night for sure. Does it mean a little more as a guy who is a non-drafted free agent? I mean, of the guys who are from the States, you're the one guy in this clubhouse who can say, you know, they've gotten here through that. Right, yeah. I mean, that's uh, that label has kind of followed me throughout my career. Um, you know, there comes a lot of skepticism with that label. But, um, you know, I think I'm, I think I'm where I belong um, as far as I, I trust my abilities. And, uh, you know, I feel like I belong here. And, uh, like I said, I'm going to try to do everything I can to prove that decision right away. Do you carry a bit of a chip, though? I mean, KK is a 31st-round pick, always felt that he did, Does and, and how do you use that to help you in a positive way? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's always, uh, I mean, that that day that I ended up not being drafted, um, coming out of my senior year of college was, was pretty much the low point of my career, so there's always that chip. There's always that reminder that, you know, not – not a team in the or industry wanted to, you know, take a pick on me. So it's uh, I, I carry that around with me for sure. Um, put that in the work every day, and then, um, you know, like I said, trying to prove people wrong, and then obviously, given the the raise, giving me an opportunity, try to prove them right at the same time. You've obviously been very productive in this organization. How, how do you see yourself as a player? What are your greatest strengths? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm just. Uh, I think people would consider me a player as that's going to bring it to the field, bring it to the park every day. Um, I'm gonna grind. I'm trying to uh, trying to get dubs uh, for the team that I'm on. Uh, obviously, the more wins a team has, obviously, I think the more success you're gonna have on a personal level. So, um, you know, if the team's having a good season, most likely you're gonna have a good season as well. So that's where I can stand in that. And you've moved around. I mean, I know at college you played shortstop, but here you've kind of played what everywhere in the infield, pretty yeah, much. Yeah, it's pretty much a complete opposite. I mean, I was full-time shortstop from freshman year uh, at college, and then, you know, I get to pro ball, they're kind of moving me around, which I have no problem with. Um, mostly third base last year, and then sprinkled in a little bit second base, first base, which, um, you know, my coaching staff did a fantastic job getting me ready before the game and preseason and all that to feel comfortable with those positions. Um, but, yeah, I think, uh, I think I'm slowly starting to develop more into a third baseman role. And it sounds like your mentality kind of fits with, you know, kind of the family you were brought up in. You go, a couple parents, your parents are in the steel industry, is that right? Yeah, yeah, they're up in uh, northwest Indiana, steel industry, you know, um, you know, just a typical blue-collar Indiana household. So um, they brought me up the right way, uh, hard work ethic, and uh, kind of just earning everything you get type thing. 
and certainly you've kind of earned where you're at. You look at your numbers last year, and, and all through your career, you've mashed lefties. Is that always been a good where you see the ball that well against left-handers? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, obviously lefty-righty situation is, uh, I mean, there's no secret that uh, that's a spot to be in uh, compared to righty-righty. But, um, yeah, I think it just uh, wherever I can, you know, hit the ball hard, whether it's a righty or lefty, I think that's uh, that's pretty much the job as a hitter. Um, so I'm not really looking to like, oh, this is a lefty, now I'm getting into it. But every time I step in the box, just trying to hit the ball as hard as I can. And you also put up your best power numbers last year. Are there adjustments that you've made in your swing or, or things that you've changed over time as you've kind of learned in pro ball? Yeah, I mean, obviously um, with the rate that pitches are accelerating and their velocities and off-speed pitches, I mean, it's tough to get in the box and square ball up. Um, I think me- mostly a mental focus point uh, when I'm in the box is kind of catching it out front, uh, point of contact a little bit. I didn't necessarily change my swing path is kind of just uh, where I'm trying to hit the ball in comparison to the uh, plate. And then there also a pride level for your, you know, usually here in Michigan where you went to school or Indiana, you don't think baseball first, but if I remember it, your travel ball team had what, Sean Manaya? I mean, you yeah. had some good pros. Yeah, we I got, I got lucky enough to come out of a good uh, high school baseball program. We got um, four guys in affiliated ball right now just for my high school team alone, uh, including, like you said, Sean Manaya, who... He just no hit the Red Sox last year, so um, no, I got lucky enough to, at an early age, start to be around guys that had really high skill levels and uh, high IQs for baseball. So now just going up through college and now here pro ball, just always learning. Obviously, your skill level is pretty high too. Enjoy your first camp. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, hopefully, there are career highlights that uh, are somewhat like what Sean Manaya did for Mike Brasso in the future. We certainly are rooting for him and all the Rays. In camp now, as mentioned uh, on the minor league side, uh, I've had a chance to do a lot of interviews uh, over the last several weeks, um, and and this one was was really kind of special. Uh, uh, I've been, as you probably know, there are a lot more players in the race system who are top prospects now from Latin America. Uh, Jesus Sanchez comes to mind, uh, Ronaldo Hernandez, Moises Gomez, and my next guest. In fact, I've been working on my Spanish, uh, so forgive me as you listen to this. Uh, it's still not that far along, um, but I'm getting there. And uh, I had a chance to chat with, I think, really one of the most exciting players in the race system. Vidal Brujan is the only player in race history to steal at least 50 bases and score at least 100 runs in a given season. Uh, He did that last year. And I also think he's courageous having to work on my Spanish every day for the last few months. Um, It's not easy to learn a new language. It's not easy to feel comfortable. And he was outside his comfort zone with the help of uh, Wilson uh, Medee to uh, do this interview with me in Spanish and English. Um, And as you'll hear uh, from the human side, and I hope you'll stay with us all the way through, um, he's not just a talented player. He's dealing with a lot personally. Um, So let's hear... The story of Vidal Brujan, I started by asking him uh, what inspired him to play baseball to begin with. I inspired my mother, my mother, uh, my, my sister. Uh, I look, I look, play uh, Jose Reyes every day. Uh, I like play baseball. Uh, uh, the boy, me, me, good, me, I like it. Go to the the field. Go to the hey, give me one baseball, baseball. Uh, give me bat, give me glove. <laughs> you know. Quantos años? How old when you started? Uh, uh, five. <laughs> yeah, five. The me remember this. Uh, 
the the other guy more bigger for me uh one bad place <laughs> i remember i remember when did you think you could be a professional who uh cuando te diste cuenta que quién uh, es tu uh, uh, tu jugar es favorito I I did so Jose Reyes because he play hard hustle uh, I I play this uh import uh and focus yeah every day every day is small small uh, siempre está sonriendo smiling smiling mm. I play high me yeah, I like this you smile a lot you always happy? Son sonrías mucho siempre y estás feliz? Estás feliz? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. This uh, me play baseball. Uh, me game this strikeout. Mm, uh, to strikeout, mm, never is more. But uh, you're on the field. You're happy. Me happy. De fuera del terreno, siempre estoy contento. Of the field, of the field, I'm always happy. Okay. Were you always, you always fast? Siempre uh, ha sido un corredor rápido? Uh, I know this party, this party, walking, 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 walking. That's it. Uh, cuando firmé, ahí fue que desarrollé la velocidad. I didn't perform in my speed until I signed. Once I signed, I was working really hard on that, and then I got my speed. When you, but when you played like with your friends when you were little, were you always the fastest one? amigos, You were very good last year. El año pasado fuiste muy bueno. Uh, you were very. Uh, why? Por qué? Uh, because this last uh, year uh, play hard every day, wrong, uh, different, uh, uh, and focus. Uh, that's it. Uh, play hard. Uh, I remember this last year uh, Bowling Green. Good team, good team. Uh, I like to talk to the guys, all the guys. Uh, me, me ayuda. That helps me. That helps me. That helps me. Uh, I like it last year. Can you tell me a little bit about your story, how you signed with the Rays? ¿Cuál es tu historia acerca de firmar con los Rays? Fue un día que no lo estaba esperando. Que se dio, gracias a Dios tuvo la bendición y estamos aquí. I was not expecting to sign with the Rays, 
and and I'm really thankful for getting the opportunity and blessing by God for, you know, for that phone call, and that's good. What do you remember? How did it happen? Recuerdas cómo pasó? De corriendo la 60, comencé corriendo la 60, hice 6, 7, ahí me pusieron a coger rolling, tiré bien, no hice ningún error ni nada, me pusieron a batear. Estaban Contreras y otro muchacho más por delante de mí, lo pusieron adelante de ellos. A mí me dejaron como quien dice de último. Y esos días, después que aparamos y todo, me pusieron a batear con ellos. De ahí batié bien, batié bien y me pusieron a coger un live VP. Y hice buenos contactos, metí dos y tres y metí. Y ahí me llevaron para la academia. Y al otro día, no al otro día, a la semana, me llamaron que yo iba para pa la capital a hacer un estrellado y de ahí me dijeron, tú estás firmado con Tampa. Yeah, it, it was too long, but I'm going to get Yeah, so I remember play, I'm um, running on 60 yards, and I remember I did 6-7. And after that, we uh, performed some defense. And so I remember being the last one. Uh, to hit on the body box, and after we hit uh, that day, it was a really good day for me. No mistakes, no error. So I went home. Nobody told me anything. A week later, I uh, was getting ready for uh, to performance another tryout, and then my agent told me, "Hey, you don't have to. You already signed with the race." Bueno, um, tell me who this year. How do you want to improve? Este año, cómo quieres mejorar? I I think some these uh different more different more more English more more pensar think so think uh yeah uh smart <laughs> yeah small uh that's uh good team Yeah. Who helps you a lot with the race? Que entrenador te ayuda mucho con los race? Albi. Albi, good person. Uh, Rincón. Uh, uh, always. Always. Uh, who will... Uh, Which teammate? Taylor Walls? He... Taylor Walls. He's the bro. He's the best. <laughs> He's the best, and my brother, he's a good person, good team, and I love you, Taylor. <laughs> you got to play baseball this winter. You were the first pick. What What did that mean? Who got the baseball este invierno? Fuiste la primera selección de novatos, ¿sí? ¿Qué significa eso? Muy alegre, muy, muy... Ni sé qué expresarme en realidad, porque fue un momento que mi país lo vio, mi madre, mi hermana, mi sobrino, todo el mundo. That was, uh, I can't even express, I can't express my feelings on this, but I was, it was an unbelievable uh, when I got uh, that information, and, and it was something really good just because my father uh, got to see that, and my mother, and I can't just express how I felt. Uh, when when I got that.
And I, I read about your father. I'm sorry. Um, lo siento, le sobre tu papá. Can you tell us anything about what happened? Do you feel comfortable? I remember playing uh, in La Romana and I got home by 8 a.m. in the morning and the, the game the night before uh, was over around 11 so I decided to spend the night in the hotel in La Romana so by the time I got home at 8 o'clock in the morning uh, they told me my father was in the hospital that was not feeling well. Y que él no se sentía bien, que lo vaya a ver. Cuando llego, me dice, me, me dice un hombre que si, que él se cayó, se cayó de la cama. Yo pensé, ah, bueno, yo creo que él está bien. Cuando llego, ya había fallecido de, de un coleterol que lo estaba atacando en la barriga. So, I, when I was trying to find out what happened, a gentleman came to me and told me that he felt from the bed. And so when I finally got to the hospital, he was already dead. Mm -hmm. So. Lo siento. Uh, it's muy difícil. Very difficult. Um, how, how, this year, how will you remember him este año? Uh, como la... Recordarás? Recordarás a tu padre este año. Poniéndolo en el nombre de la gorra parte de este lado. I'm gonna write his name on my hat on the right side. It's very good. Muy bueno. This year, what would what? Well, someday you want to go to the big leagues. Who got a Grandes Ligas? What would it mean to your family to play in the big leagues? My mother is <laughs> happy, happy. My mother, my brother, my sister, everybody happy, happy for 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 me. Uh, you look uh, in television, television. Yeah. Uh, uh, I love for me in television. Very happy. I like. I like. You have a big family. Tu es un grande familia. Como uh, cuando 
hermanos y hermana, hermanos. One brother, one sister. Okay. Violas, mayor o menor? Mayor. Mayor. Yeah. Muchas gracias. Uh, uh, me gusta hablar contigo. <laughs> and what I said there to conclude was that I enjoyed speaking with him, and I truly did. Um, and I hope you enjoyed uh, not only Vidal Brujan, uh, who hopefully will have another terrific year in the race system, uh, but our entire podcast. Special thanks to Mark Topkin, Emilio Pagan, and Mike Brasso, as well as Vidal Brujan for being with us. I've got a couple more interviews um, with uh, some of the other top uh, Rays uh, players from Latin America. Uh, we've got a future podcast that will include Ronaldo Hernandez and also Moises Gomez. The Rays actually have a minor league media day next week, uh, but I had these interviews that I did when they were doing some uh, special conditioning and training down in Port Charlotte. Uh, I'd had a chance to sit down with uh, each of these guys one-on-one, so we'll hear those interviews in the near term. Uh, don't forget also Countdown to Opening Day this weekend with Tommy Pham and Daniel Robertson. Thanks very much for being with us, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>